When it comes to having a rich spiritual life that connects your deep personal experience of you-ness with something greater, how do you cut through all the bullshit to something meaningful for you? That's what's in store for today's episode. But first, a big announcement. On October 12th, 2019, John and Julie Gottman will be joining me here in Portland, Maine at the State Theater for Relationship Alive Live. So we'll be having some deep conversation with the world's masters of relationship success with a chance to have your questions answered. There's reserved seating and tickets are on sale now. For more information and to buy tickets, please visit neilsatin.com slash live show, all one word. And I'm so excited to see you there. Also, just a reminder that Relationship Alive is my offering to you so that you can have the best relationship possible. If you are finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to help ensure that we can continue. To choose something that feels right for you, just visit neilsatin.com support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And this week, I would like to thank Marie, Timothy, Karina, Luna, Angie, David, Sylvia, Anita, and Sharifa. Thank you all so much for your generous support of Relationship Alive and our mission. Also, my new course, The Secrets of Relationship Communication, is hot off the presses. If you are interested in finding out more about my course, then start with my free guide to my top three relationship communication secrets. These three things are a good way to get you started. They will help you stay connected no matter how challenging the thing that it is that you have to communicate about. And if you get the freebie, then you'll also find out more about my Secrets of Relationship Communication course, which is about three and a half hours worth of material that refines basically all of the things that you can do to improve the communication in your relationship. So rather than waiting for your partner to change, I give you all the leverage points that you can change to have a huge impact on the connection and safety in how you communicate with your partner. So to download the free guide, my top three relationship communication secrets, just visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. If you haven't checked out last week's episode yet, it is an episode that I did pondering the question about whether or not people can really truly change. It's something that I get asked a lot and especially when you're dealing with something big, it's worth wondering, is this other person in my life, are they really going to change? Or if it's something within you, am I really gonna change? Is there something, is that possible for, for me? So make sure you check out episode 201, which was last week's episode. And when you're ready to talk about all things relationship, just join us in the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. It is free to join. All you have to do is click join and you'll be in the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. And finally, I am gathering your questions for my solo shows. If you have a burning question, record it on your phone and email it to questions at relationshipalive.com and I will answer it on an upcoming show. All right, I think that's it. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. It's always a thrill to get a return visit from a particularly awesome guest, and today is going to be one of those days. 
Here to talk about the his new book, Grounded Spirituality, is Jeff Brown, who is also the author of Soul Shaping and An Uncommon Bond. And in fact, we had him here on Relationship Alive, I guess it was probably about a year and a half ago, maybe, uh, to talk about those two books. And if you're curious to hear that episode, you can visit neilsatin.com slash soulshaping, all one word. And Today, we're going to talk about this approach to living a spiritual life that allows us to be fully grounded in who we are as humans in terms of our unique existence on this planet right now. I'm not going to try to describe the whole thing. That's what I'm here to talk to Jeff Brown for. Um, However, I just want to say that for me personally, this book came out of really... A challenged time when I've been going through a lot in my own life. And I found some of the exercises in this book to be really helpful and some of the viewpoints represented to help dispel some of the myths that I've been carrying around with me about what it means to be a spiritual being in a human body and uh, and helped me integrate in a, in a new way that's been really helpful and transformative in terms of my day-to-day life right now. So I found the book to be really inspiring, and that's why I'm so excited to be sharing it with you along with Jeff Brown, its, author, its author. So if you want to download a transcript of today's conversation, which promises to be quite far-reaching, then I encourage you to do so at neilsatin.com slash grounded, as in grounded spirituality, not as in you're grounded for being a bad human. Um, And uh, you can always text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions to also get access to the transcripts and uh, show notes for today's conversation. I think that's it for starters. So Jeff Brown, welcome back to Relationship Alive. Great to be with you, Neil. It's good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved our last conversation, and and we've had the the good fortune to connect a little bit in in the in between times as well. So it's uh, that's been really sweet. I gave my off the cuff definition um, in the intro, but I'm wondering if you might be able to to give us a, a quick synopsis of what you mean by grounded spirituality, and maybe contrast that with what people tend to talk about when they're talking about spirituality and and why this distinction is so important for you. So let me just read from the book, The Grounded Spirituality Definition, and then go into the second part of your question. Sure. Um, Grounded spirituality is an all-encompassing experience of spirituality that is rooted in and threads throughout all aspects of our humanity and earthly experience. We begin and end our spiritual quest within the ground of our being, our embodied humanness, as both interpreter of experience and as our individuated portal to divinity. We don't look outside of our human form for spirituality. We look deeper within name and form, cultivating a more refined understanding of the divine reflection that exists right in the heart of our selfhood. We honor its sacred qualities and transformative properties celebrating it as the perfectly constructed laboratory of expansion that it is. With our feet rooted firmly on Mother Earth and in daily life, we become grounded in reality in all its identifiable forms. We expand outward and inward from there. In essence, grounded and spirituality are synonyms. They both mean reality. The more deeply grounded you are in your body and selfhood, the more fully you are here. The more fully you are here, the more spiritual your experience. It's from the depths of your being that you have the greatest access to the everything. So for me, you know, I mean, my journey really began in the psychotherapeutic process. Um, I didn't really have any idea of this thing called spirituality. So I really and, and, and as I went through that process and moved from more of a talk therapy model to working with Al Owen and, and doing other somatic psychotherapy techniques, I found that the more deeply I opened and released, the more expanded my vista. I felt like at the end of sessions or at the end of a holotropic breathwork, I felt completely and deeply here in a unity consciousness field. Um, and But it happened through my body and it happened through the psycho-emotional release. Uh, it didn't happen through anything separate from or distinct from my day-to-day experience. It was all coming through and threaded through my humanness. So 
I think I carried that forward and then began to explore this thing called spirituality. And it began really with the love experience I wrote about an uncommon bond and, and, and coming into a unified field or what I called the unified field from the love experience, again, through my heart and through my body and through my being. And then I began to encounter people like Bhagavan Das and Made Karmageddon and all kinds of other people in social media that were defining spirituality in a way that seemed to be devoid of humanness. It, it seemed to really be about something called transcendence, something about finding selfhood, finding spirituality, independent of self, body, ego, feelings, stories, everything about my humanness, everything difficult and uncomfortable was dissed. Um, and spirituality was some awakened consciousness in an absolute consciousness field outside of my localized experience. That wasn't where I found it. I found it inside of my localized experience. And so I, you know, as I've continued to work in the area and write in the area and develop my ideas in the area, I began to realize that there's this thing called patriarchal spirituality. There is this thing I call the New Cage Movement. There's this whole industry, industrial notion of spirituality that people are economically dependent on that tries to set off our humanness from our spirituality. Um, and that just simply has not been my experience. And I feel as though that's one of the reasons why our species is in trouble, because this way, as in many other ways, we continue to dissociate from our humanness in quest of something outside of it um, without understanding that the true integration happens has to happen right in the heart of it. I love that. And, and I'm thinking now of like the first place that I want to go with this is uh, that notion of transcendence and how helpful it has been for people to explore that, to, to explore witness consciousness and to, in, in some senses, uh, let's just use the phrase rise above their, the, uh, the drama and the chaos of human existence in order to get some perspective, some peace. And uh, your book is written as a dialogue between yourself and this character named Michael, who is really rooted in this sense of spiritual journey that's all about transcending um, transcending reality or, or, or being far enough above it that you're, you're not... Uh, drowning in the chaos of it. And I think that's why it's so alluring to people because it it's can feel easy to drown in the chaos of of life and emotions and circumstances. So um and you of course talk about um Eckhart Tolle as a a great example of someone who is you know the the figurehead in some respects of the the modern Western transcendence movement. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, uh, where's the value in learning this witness consciousness and being able to take perspective versus living there? So the, the, the simple way I put it is that detachment is a tool. It's not a life. Um, so for me, and, and transcendence can be defined, you know, definitional stuff is very important and we won't go too far into it here, but you know, what one person calls transcendence, another person calls something else. So the whole language of rising above being heightened, all of that for me is part of the patriarchal bypass movement. Um, mm. that's not to say that being able to pull up and out and look at your localized self through various meditative and other techniques, gain perspective on your habitual range of emotion, on the stories you tell yourself, on the way you move through the world, on the various forms of anxiety that operate within you is a good thing. It helped me enormously to be able to pull out of my very localized experience of Jeff Brown from that super crazy childhood and begin to witness myself and recognize and excavate parts of me that I didn't have access to in my habitual way of moving through the world. I have no issue with it. If Tolle had written Power of Now, a book that I call The Power of Self-Avoidance, if, if Tolle had written that book and he had said, look, I'm, I'm, I, as he said in the beginning, I think he said he was suicidal and very troubled. If he'd said, look, I had all kinds of problems. And one morning I woke up and I developed, had developed some kind of a technique or access to a particular consciousness that gave me access to my material. 
Don't call it a pain body. Don't talk about it like you're talking about a car part. Acknowledge your tender woundedness. And then he said, and I spent a lot of time out there getting perspective on where I'd been, understanding my ancestral context, understanding how this painful material wove its way through my ways of being. And then I developed techniques for coming back down into that material as though the material is in fact quite true and quite real and no illusion, no bashing of the ego, no bashing of the self, no bashing of the feelings, no bashing of emotions, no bashing of anything human. Acknowledging it, recognizing it, and understanding that you needed to bring another consciousness into it in order to find the balance, the weave, the holy, holy, that you need to move through the world with a connection to a more unified field and a profound and deep and work through awareness of the localized self. If he had said that, I got no problem with that book. But he didn't. He called that a, what do you call it, a guide for enlightenment or something in this, in this subheader. Um, when you present the detachment or the as something that is the end of the story, essentially, to me, that's just dissociative. And that's not going to serve this humanity. We know why people want to do it. They're uncomfortable here. It's painful here. So they use the meditation as a drug, or they use witnessing consciousness as a drug, and they convince themselves they've gone to that superior place because they're numbing and detaching from all that material that's stirring up inside of them. It's still in there. It still shows up in their personal life. None of these teachers tell you about their personal lives, but you find out things about a lot of spiritual teachers' personal lives, and you realize that this is an industry, and they're telling you a story about their lives that isn't the whole story. Their stuff is still activated. Their stuff is still working on them. They have not resolved and worked through all those pieces. And... So for me, what we need to do is develop a spirituality that acknowledges the wisdom and, 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 and brings techniques to bear on people to be able to pull up and out, to pull back and look at themselves, to do the witness and consciousness trip, to have a taste of something called unity consciousness, and then to come back down into the body with that wisdom and find the weave between transcendence and imminence that for me is the truest human experience. So let's contrast that with maybe some of your experience around the more human material. So when we come back in, you write about how much is tends to be locked in the body. And, and we've had Peter Levine on the show uh, several times. So um, that's, that's, I think, hopefully uh, a, a level of discourse that listeners are familiar with, this idea that we're storing trauma in our body. And if we're not dealing with it, then we're going to have to stay in this dissociated state in order to feel like we're somehow coping. And I could, I could see like the, the freedom, the illusion of freedom in that for people until because we can't live there, there's that reality of you're back in your, within your human form and there's still some shit to work through. Jeff, we need to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor. And they have a special offer for you to help you get exactly the kind of support that you need as you're creating the web of support for yourself that we so often talk about on this show. One way that allows you to connect with a professional counselor in an online environment that's safe and private is today's sponsor, BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. Along with scheduling video or phone sessions, you can also chat and text with your therapist. They're affordable and financial aid is available for those who qualify. So whether it's anxiety, depression, your relationship, anxiety or depression about your relationship, stress, grief, dealing with trauma, whatever it is, definitely consider BetterHelp as a way to help you transform the places where you are stuck. And best of all, it is truly an affordable option because as a Relationship Alive listener, you get 10% off your first month with the discount code ALIVE. So why not get started today? Just go to betterhelp.com alive. You can simply fill out a questionnaire that helps them assess your needs and gets you matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com alive. And thank you. BetterHelp for your support of healthier relationships by sponsoring today's show. And now let's get back to our conversation with Jeff Brown. Trauma, it's encoded in the body. It's stored in the body. It's in the body. So I knew this in, in a very palpable way when I shifted from being a talk therapy client to being a body-centered psychotherapy client. And 
I would sit with Alexander Lowen, for, who was the co-founder of Bio, and I would sit and talk for 15 minutes with him. And he'd just be looking at my body and he'd be engaging my mind because he knew I needed that to feel safe. And I knew what he was doing, but I needed to do it. Um, and then he would say, all right, are you ready to work? You ready to get to work? And so get undressed. So I get into my underwear, my shorts, whatever I would do. And he would start working me in the body, grounding me in the body, going over the stool, tantruming, kicking. And all of a sudden I would have access to a completely different experience of reality than my waking consciousness. It was painful. It was horrifying. There were memories that I had no conscious connection to in my day-to-day life. And understandably, I had to survive and get through my life. I couldn't be in touch with all that trauma. But my experience of deep inside of my body was radically and remarkably different than who I thought I was. Um, And I had tried going up and out. I had been around the bypass movement. I had attempted to be a bypasser. I would love to be a bypasser, but (laughs) I just can't be a bypasser. It's just not it's not in the way that I'm organized internally. Um, But, you know, at the same time, I was living kind of in between. I wasn't a bypasser, but I wasn't going deep into the caverns of my embodied consciousness. So. Lowen, by going to Lowen, manifesting Lowen, however we characterize it, I was forced to go back down into that material. I chose to go back down into that material. And and then I began to understand this deep and profound connection between this thing we could call imminence, the localized, the day-to-day, the mundane, whatever we call it, um, and this thing called transcendence or unity consciousness field or the non-dual world. And then I would encounter it in the spiritual world. They were talking about non-duality, and they all seemed flatlined. They talked like automatons. They were they were addicted to meditation, uh, you know, TMers. I knew so many TMers who were like yogic flying, and their personal lives were utterly insane. You know, there was no bridge. So I began to understand that my body was the bridge. My body is the bridge, and it's the way that I try to make sense of how I can hold all of these threads of consciousness at the same time. And so, and Peter Levine is one of the great, brilliant pioneers. I noted him in the book. So is John Paracco. So is Wilhelm Reich. So is, you know, David Bercelli is doing great work. Lowen, of course, did utterly brilliant work. These people, to me, are the true spiritual teachers because I define spirituality as reality, Neil. So the one who guides us or supports us in a movement towards being in touch with all threads of reality, which must begin within the self. It has to begin within the self itself. To me, those are the true spiritual teachers, not the ones who master a singular thread of consciousness, master witnesses, master meditators, masters at, at the art of our premature forgiveness. There's a million of them out there calling themselves spiritual teachers. To me, there's nothing spiritual about them because all they've done is perfected one thread and they're not able to function within all of the threads of the human experience. That's one thing that's so appealing to me about your your writing in grounded spirituality is this way that you continue speaking to integrating integrating the spiritual awareness integrating what's happening within your body integrating your emotional awareness integrating your intuition so that it it all becomes part of you as an alive dynamic being um and i what I've seen, what I've witnessed, it feels kind of funny to use that word, uh, with lots of my clients who have been going through this sort of thing is that when people are totally focused on the meditative path, it actually creates a lot of challenge in relationship because there's all that unconscious material that's still running them in the ways that they interact with each other. Or conversely, they're they're kind of not really interacting with each other. They're they're like two dissociated beings or more likely one dissociated being and another who's like trying to call them back. And then both of them, of course, have their work to do in order to to arrive at this place of being more integrated and unfolding in that way. Because I think it's it's not a static place, right? It's this dynamic place where you continually arrive again and again. Absolutely. I mean, this is why the mindfulness revolution is dangerous. This is why the, you know, the society-wide industry now really related to meditation is dangerous. I mean, I get that meditation can be a wonderful technique for connecting to the self, for pulling away from the localized material for periods of time, to getting a break from what it means to be a human being, you know, or at least to get a break from some aspect of that. And But the problem is, again, if it's not also coupled with some kind of re-entry process and reintegration process. It's like we're moving towards inclusivity with respect to gender, with respect to sexuality, certainly with respect to race, you know, ethnicity, all kinds of ways. 
But I believe because the spiritual community is the one area in society where nobody's allowed to critically review it. It's amazing how well, how effective patriarchal spirituality and its origins has been at, at preventing us from deconstructing. You, you just got to go on my Facebook wall when I put up a post where I'm critically reviewing a teaching. And how many conscious people even, really people who've really done work on themselves say, oh my God, how can you do that? You have no right to critique that person's teaching. You have no right to critique that experience. They're okay if we critique politics. They're okay if we deconstruct legal decisions. They're okay with us critically reviewing religion, but not spirituality. And this is a biggest part of the problem. You know, if we're going to move in the direction of an inclusive world, we have to allow for the critical review of everything that is not inclusive. And that really includes spirituality because spirituality is growing in popularity. Religion is becoming less popular worldwide. And if we keep moving in the direction of a, this protectorate, this nonsense about certain spiritualities being a sacred cow, we're leading humanity away from inclusivity while at the same time pretending that we're moving them in the direction of something more advanced. It's not more advanced if it's not inclusive. It can't be. I suppose that one thing that really speaks to me in your writing is that sense of the the imminence that you talk about being here in the here and now, um, partly because I feel like that is really the place where relationship actually springs from, at least springs from in its most, most um, healthy manifestation. You know, it's two people who are actually being fully here and alive to what's happening within themselves. And... Uh, and that's the thing that I think scares me a little bit about the spirituality movement is the way that it's discouraging people from actually feeling their full experience here with another human, because that, of course, is what propels the, the growth that happens in relationship with another person. Right. Well, you know, this is the trick of patriarchal spirituality, to talk about the now while leading you away from the now. That's the whole game. <laughs> the power of now. What's a very powerful sounding book title? Be here now. Wow, what a powerful concept. But what what are we really talking about? We're talking about a notion of nowness that is bereft of individuation that is not connected to what I call the power of then, that is the true material that you're holding within your beingness, unresolved, traumatic material, unresolved uh, memories, unresolved events and experiences that completely inform your experience of the moment. Can you be fully in the moment if threads of your consciousness and threads that are somatically embedded and structured and defended in armored ways of functioning actually prevent you from being here in this moment? How could I be? Right, if right. I'm holding on to all kinds of stuff, and as a result of that early stuff, I shallowed my breath, I pulled my head up and away from my body, I tightened my hips, I rigidified my system, can I say that I'm actually in the now in a full and complete sense? Of course not. So most of the people who are teaching nowness are actually tricking you. They are or they're tricking themselves or both. They are the farthest thing from being in the moment because their version of the now is this patriarchal, cave-dwelling, meditative, absolute consciousness field where you diss the self, you diss the story, you diss the ego, you diss your body sometimes, you diss your feelings. All of that is an illusion. All of that is misidentified. But what's real is some version of the nowness where you're floating in the cloudscapes like we're birds or something, and you're <laughs> having some experience of this absolute field of enlightenment as though there is such a thing, as though we're not in process, as though it's not a relative experience. To me, it's a big lie. So then people are going, wow, I get to be in the now. I get to, and, and, and the trick is we do get a little bit of relief when we get access to these techniques because they do pull us up and out of that worry mind. All right, I get that. But you have to look a little closer because then they go farther. They're actually taking you farther and farther away from your humanness. And it's particularly dangerous for trauma survivors who really need to have a sense of intactness and integration. And we're being led in the direction of dissolution of the ego, denial of the story, um, 
dishonoring of their feelings. Um, all of it is unreal and untrue. And, you know, what's, what really got me going in this in 2013, someone I knew on Facebook hung themselves after they bought into all these new cage and patriarchal notions of spirituality, fired their therapist. And when their stuff kept haunting them in the middle of the night, they had nobody to turn to because now they had dissed all of that. And then they ended up hanging themselves. Um, and they announced it in advance. It was very clear what was coming. And I called the cops and tried to get them to go. And they went and they couldn't do anything. And then they hung themselves. And that's what I really began to understand. And I'm understanding in my Grounded Spirituality discussion group on Facebook, you hear these stories about how these bullshit versions of spirituality have damaged and destroyed lives, you know, and then you, you, you feel I have felt compelled to find a voice that I'm not comfortable sharing um, in an effort to try to encourage us in the direction of a new spirituality, not one that was fostered by men who couldn't admit their fucked upness and had to go into meditation caves and convince the village that they were the enlightened masters that were bringing great wisdom for 20 years sitting in a meditation cave being served by the villagers. That nonsense is ridiculous. That doesn't bring us into integration with ourselves or with humanity. And now I think we need to move in the direction of sacred activists. Uh, to bring ourselves into integration spiritually, just like we're trying to bring everything else into integration. Can you draw a distinction for me between what, how what we're talking about is spiritual and sacred, um, since you just used that word, versus just, I'm going to a body-centered therapist healing my old traumas? Mm, reframe the question. So in other words, how is what you're talking about different than like if I w were able to go to see, I know Alexander Lowen is no longer with us, but if I were able to go with him, is that in and of itself a spiritual experience or is there something more that's part of the spirituality that you're talking about, the grounded spirituality? So, so I'll, I'll give you my Alexander Lowen moment because I was beginning to now to question. It was the very beginning for me of what is spirituality. So I brought it to him. I think it was in our last session. I said, "So, Al, what is this thing they're talking about about spirituality? What does this even mean?" You know, and he went, "Oh, you know," like he was annoyed by the question. Um, and he said, "He said, he said, going into your body, enlivening your body, getting your body um, grounded and spirited—that's spirituality." Um, so I think for me, anything that we do that brings us into a more complete experience of reality, I would call a spiritual experience. I mean, everything is spirituality. Spirituality is reality for me. Uh, my opposition is simply to anything that's calling itself spirituality, because of the way that I define it as reality, those things that are only limiting our experience to a certain element of the human equation while dissing and and disconnecting and boundarying themselves against the other part of it, to me, are not actually part of the spiritual experience. So the real spiritual teacher, if anyone's a spiritual teacher, and, and really, and I say later in the book, really nobody is, but, you know, for me, somatic psychotherapists came closer to that because I felt that because they were taking me into my body and into the body of my experience and through that portal, I had more access to a broader and inclusive experience of reality. That felt more like a spiritual teaching than going to a non-dual meeting and sitting in a satsang and accessing one very particular elitist notion of what it means to be a human being while disconnecting from and dissing all the rest. Got it. Um, I'm wondering if you could offer one of the exercises from your book so that our listeners can get a flavor for the kinds of experiences that we're being invited into. Yeah, I have one called the excavation meditation. Um, mm -hmm. In the truth is the gateway to the moment chapter. So I'll read that. Okay, great. Great. Maybe you can do it, Neil. Um, sit on a chair, on the floor, or on a cushion in whatever position feels most comfortable. While sitting, do not close your eyes or focus your gaze directly ahead or above you. Instead, keep your eyes opened and focus downward, looking directly and with great curiosity at your body temple. Gaze at your body as you would a loved one. Begin to make contact with your breath, inviting it into awareness, feeling it move through you. First, start with gentle breathing, as if you are gradually warming up. Then, invite your breath to move strongly and pointedly throughout your body, infusing your body with life force. 
pushing into and beyond tightly held regions. If you feel resistance, do not hesitate or recoil. Breathe even stronger. If you feel emotions, do not merely watch them as they float past. Instead, immerse yourself in them. Deepen into feeling, inviting all held emotions and memories to be fully felt. Use the breath as an excavation tool. With your breath, purposefully dig deep. Your aim is to bring repressed material to the surface, where it can be released and reintegrated. Allow this meditation to become a kind of visceral, physical landscape of feeling and sensation. If there are tears, feel into and move them to the extent that you can. If there's anger, feel into and move it to the extent that you can. If there are words or sounds, express them fully. If you find yourself turning toward your habitual meditation style that includes a focus on the sensations of the body, return to the breath and intensify it. If you find yourself getting distracted by thoughts, return to the breath and intensify it. If you find yourself wanting this exercise to end, return to the breath and intensify it. Whatever arises, return to the breath and intensify it. Your breath is your excavation tool and your guide. Now you are not just watching the body as it contracts and expands. You are fully experiencing and inhabiting the body. Feelings, emotions, sounds, sensations, textures, roars, all and everything. Stay with this process until you have fully abandoned the watcher and have become a full-bodied, total experiencer, feeling, moving, expressing, and releasing as fully as you can. So I think for me, you know, this notion of monkey mind was very interesting, Neil. It was like, okay, I've got a monkey mind. And I, so when I wrote Soul Shaping, I was kind of a little bit more in that version of spirituality. And I talked about the monkey mind. And, and then I began to realize that really it was a monkey heart, you know, that – Focusing on the mind, getting inside of the mind, witnessing the mind, having various meditative, meditative techniques within the mind itself didn't seem to get me anywhere. I was just sort of going into one part of the mind to try to calm down another part of the mind. It felt like a very safe and irrational way to go about it because when I went down into the body, when I opened the material in this, this armored temple of mine, I excavated feeling, I excavated sound, I excavated the need to rage or cry or whatever came through me. At the end of those discharges, I felt as though my mind completely calmed down. So it seemed very clear to me that this notion, this patriarchal notion that everything is happening up high and the mind is to blame for everything, which seems to be at the root of almost all of those spiritualities, if you read it, they're always blaming the mind, seemed to me to be a very safe and convenient thing. It was like talking to Michael. It was like Michael was in a safe place. It was like how women had been perpetually frustrated by men who hadn't accessed their feelings. It was all the same thing. It was like a little boy who, who, who had pain and, and didn't want anyone to know he was in pain, so he, he picked up the Captain America shield and said, I am Captain America, and became a master. To me, all of this mastering the mind nonsense didn't seem to get me anywhere. The only way that I ever changed anything inside of my mind, really, fundamentally, was to change something inside of my heart. And I think at the heart of patriarchal, of grounded spirituality, is the belief not only that we live inside of the body and through the body is our portal to all of it, but also that we understand the importance of clearing this emotional debris that obstructs our, our lens, that obstructs our presence, that makes it impossible, impossible for us to actually be in the now. We could be in the now in a cerebral sense. We could be in the now in a tangible, literal sense. But in a felt sense, if we're not in the now, we're not in the now at all. So I'm sitting with all of your words and also just with my experience from being guided through that process earlier and um and it rings true for me uh on the show i've recently had a a, a triumvirate of aedp therapists i'm not sure if you're familiar with that modality but it's i would it's not um body centered per se but the whole focus in that modality is on healing early attachment wounds relationally through with your therapist and they they bring this whole skill set of uh, co-regulation that I've found really helps me access these deep places these deep wounded places and, and heal it in relationship with another person and at the same time what that process is um, with those with that therapy has helped me see is just how much I am carrying around at any given moment and, you know, I'm 45 years old. I've got 
probably at least 45 years of things coming at me crosswise. And it's not that everything has come at me crosswise there. I've had a lot of blessed experiences in my life as well. Um, but those crosswise experiences, I wouldn't say that I had the proper support as a kid to really handle those big feelings. And I don't think many people do. And so the technique that you just offered, um, with connecting with the breath and, and I, you know, I loved how it started. And even though I read it in your book, I still like when you said, um, when you invited me into the exercise, first thing I did was close my eyes, you know, and then the next thing you said was open your eyes. <laughs> and it was just like pretty amusing for me. And, uh, and then I felt like by going through it, it really did help me access something that's here within me now. And, um, you know, for me, it was this sense of, oh, I, there are some tears there. Like I said, I've been going through some challenges right now, some personal discovery that, that's been like really eye-opening for me as I look back over the landscape of my life. And so here in this moment, I was super present to some some grief and and it was mixed with love that invitation to be looking at my body temple as you named it um i think how also helped me connect with not only the sadness i was feeling in that moment but also the the love that i had for this vehicle this vessel for my for my earthly experience um so I'm, I'm really just appreciating. I, I, I felt within me like, okay, if I weren't sitting here talking to you for the purposes of having a podcast, like there, there are real deep aspects of that experience that I could have gone into in that moment. Right. And, 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 and for all kinds of various reasons, we, we don't, you know, or we can't, even though I could probably easily hold the space for that. And, and as you could for me, I think, you know, we our adaptations and, you know, survivalist tendencies and practical response, all that stuff. You know, one thing I understand, it's, it's very simple in a way when I think about this thing called spirituality is that everybody I've ever known um, as part of this human collective at this stage of human development is carrying an enormity of unresolved individual, very personal and, and ancestral material, collective material. And, you know, we approach this question of what is enlightenment, what is awakening, all these kinds of things. And it seems kind of preposterous to me. And I actually mean that with some compassion, um, that we try to answer these questions when we're not actually fully inhabiting our bodies, when we're walking around in these deeply armored and obstructed temples. And then trying to ask the question, what has meaning? You know, what has, uh, what is awakening? What does it mean to be an enlightened or enlightening consciousness? What is enrealment? All these things. If we don't begin within clearing the emotional debris that obstructs us and affects our beliefs and our behaviors and our energies and our, and our relationships, I mean, we see this all over the relationship field where at this stage of human development, it's all most people can do to figure out who they are individually, let alone try to work it out with another person in the room for 30 years. I mean, if you think about it, it's a great miracle when two people can survive 30 years or even 30 days together, given the amount of material we're carrying. And so for me, and it's kind of simple, before we go farther into the question of what is the most expanded consciousness, and we need to clear the debris. You know, it's like trying to see what a room looks like when the room is completely filled with garbage. You can't. You can see the dimensions, maybe the size of it, but you can't really get a sense of that room. And I think that that's where we are. And I think that the more techniques we develop, not to pull us up and out, sure, for survival purposes, sure, when we need to dissociate, because sometimes we do. And I honor that. And I've, I've employed those techniques. I still do. I'm employing them right now in the last couple of weeks. But at the same time, until we start to develop te te techniques like Peter Levine's work, like Lowen's work, that really bring us down into the truth of what we're holding, not calling it a pain body like it's a car part, but acknowledging our tender woundedness and the tender woundedness of the collective, finding ways to get into that material, to hold it safely, individually, collectively, therapeutically, move it through so that it's resolved, transformed, Whatever can be healed can be healed. Whatever can't be healed is managed. All of that. I don't think we even know what we're talking about when we talk about awakening. 
I think we're just full of shit, to be honest. And I think that's because we literally are full of shit. And we need to move that debris before we can begin to access the truer and deeper questions of our lives. How would you suggest someone know whether or not, because this this experience of accessing the, you know, let's say you rise above, you see the the garage full of uh, boxes and boxes of old stuff, and then you're like, okay, I'm not going to stay in this risen above state. I'm going to go back and I'm going to start cleaning things out. I'm going to clean house. Um, when do you think someone needs help and support in that realm? Because I think that's, you know, the the illusion that we have about big feelings, and, and this is, I think, part of the cycle is when we're young, those big feelings, especially when we're not given a safe container for them, they do feel like they're they're too big. They overwhelm the system and our nervous systems aren't aren't essentially uh, capable of of handling them um so so then we have this uh irrational fear as an adult that we can't move through them when in fact like going into a feeling like that it does it comes on strong and then it does subside and leaves you in a in a better off place at least that's been my experience and yet at the same time i also have this feeling that for some people they may need a container or someone who's there to kind of help hold the space for them to have those kinds of experiences. And so how, in your opinion, how would I know where I was landing on that spectrum? Um, I mean, I don't know that you would. I mean, a great many, most people walk around, you know, living a far distance from their body. Um, you know, wasn't that a line from, I think it was Walter Mitty or something. He lived a fair distance from his body. Um, you know, I, I feel like what has to happen is this conversation has to be normalized in, within society. And I think it's beginning to happen. And I think that it needs to begin to happen in the school system where there's some forum created for emotional attunement, because we're talking about not being attuned um, at an early age uh, for healthy emotional release for supported release within the school, within the classroom, with teachers, with practitioners that are part of that. I think it has to happen in corporate environments where we learn how to attune to and move material that's preventing us from being most effective. I think we need to have some kind of release chambers on street corners where people can go inside and smash a cube with a baseball bat and normalize it, normalize healthy anger release because it's anger has been so deeply stigmatized that now all of it's restrained, repressed. and gets acted out in all kinds of weird, um, passive, aggressive, inappropriate ways. Um, I think we just have to make this part of our every part of society so that attunement and release are normal and are considered to be healthy steps towards a healthy society. And and then people will be able to gauge themselves. So right now you have people walking into a, bo a body-centered psychotherapist room who've never really enlivened their body, who've been adapting, armoring in a million different ways. All they know is that consciousness. That's how they've organized themselves to survive in the crazy world. And, and then they have this super extreme experience of grounding, opening it. Oh, my God, what is this? And uh, many of them leave. Many people will go to somatic psychotherapy sessions and never do more than one because it's it's not normalized within society. It's startling, it's stigmatized, and it's a radical experience of opening in a system that's been closed. Um, so I think it's it's on all of us to create some kind of a reality where um, the conversation about how angry I am, or I'm at level four in my anger quotient, or I'm, I've got grief at level two, or however you want to language it, begins part of our day-to-day -day conversation. So when people cry in a coffee shop, people don't look at them and, and make faces. They come over and they sit around them and they hold the space for them. Those kinds of things need to happen. I believe they might happen and they are beginning to happen in some ways, but not happening quickly enough. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I so agree. You and I, you, so you and I are a good example. So, you know, it, it happens between people. You know, I mean, we're damaged in relationship. And we're healing relationships. So here are you and I, I read the meditation, not even thinking you might be having an experience of it. You have an experience of it. So then the question is, how can I hold the space for that experience for you so that you actually make some progress internally, resolutionally um, in a 10 or 15 minute period and model that to humanity? And then as we model that to humanity, especially as men, which is so important to model this to men in particular, um, and not only, but in particular, 
then we begin to make progress. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really true. That's really true. And, and it feels true also in terms of my experience, you know, when I take something like a moment like this and then go out into the world, then I start feeling those innately, I'm putting, I'm making the little quote marks with my fingers, those spiritual unity consciousness types experience type experiences. Uh, and I, I think they emerge from being really deeply in touch with your these, feelings. Yeah. My feelings, these real parts of me. Yeah. This is, I'm not opposed to unity consciousness, but I'm not interested in a unity consciousness experience that is limited to a transcendent field. I want my connection to the everything to come from the heart of the body itself in the emotional body. And then it feels like a more sustainable experience and it actually feels like a more expansive experience for me. And I also feel safer because I haven't had to bifurcate my consciousness to have that experience. So now I'm afraid to come back down to earth and I'm going to crash at some point because, you know, I'm not bridging the two. If I start from within the body, so, so, you know, in interacting with Michael in the book was kind of one of my struggles. It was like what he's calling awakening or transcendence is something that's very different, maybe very different from what I experienced as awakening or transcendence because I did it from within my body, my feet grounded on the earth plane. Right. Um, so are we even talking about the same experience? His feels flightier, more kind of motivated by or intended in the direction of getting away from something. Whereas mine felt like it was about really trying to be here for all of it, you know, the real be here now, the one that actually starts within my body, not renaming myself as Ram Dass did, but as Jeff Brown, Jeff Brown, with Jeff Brown's story, with my booby Franny Perlov, with my grandfather Zeta Bila Perlov, with my very difficult mother Barbara Brown, all of that is real. That is not not spiritual. That is so spiritual. That's my lineage. That's my ancestry. That's my flesh and bones, baby. And if I'm not in my flesh and bones, there's no possible way I can access an awakening consciousness. I'm just laughing because I'm, I'm thinking of the place in the book where you talk about Eckhart Tolle changing his name and then... Yeah, his name and, is Ulrich. Right, and then like if names aren't important, then why are all right. these people changing yeah, their names? Yeah, yeah, he's got this quote about like, you know, formlessness over form. It's like, well, you know, and ego is the enemy of the sacred, whatever all these people are talking about. And then they change their names. Well, clearly it's important enough for them to take on another name in order to disconnect from their birth, their name of origin. And, you know, I understand the purpose that serves. It gives a lot of people a break from what it meant to be their their origins. But because their origins are them and their origins are encoded in their bones and in their cells, changing the name it can be a temporary reprieve. But ultimately, you still got to come back down and do the work inside of Ulrich Tolle. And Ram Dass has to still do the work that is Richard Alpert. And Ram Dass wouldn't disagree with that, I think. Um, you know, and that's everywhere in the community. Bhagavan Dass's real name was Kermit Michael Riggs. He's walking around carrying everything that's Kermit Michael Riggs. He can call himself whatever he wants. He's still carrying Kermit Michael Riggs, and he is Kermit Michael Riggs. And so I think, you know, if we're going to go down into the body, into the feelings, and, and I realize because we don't have templates, we only have a few models, a few techniques developed, it's very difficult to invite people in this direction um, because then how do we get them there to stay there? Because there aren't that many integrated models. Most of what we've been calling spirituality is bifurcated. If you really look closely, even yoga was, if you look at its origins, they, it's called yoga, it means unity. But really what they're talking about is a version of unity that gets you away from and perfects the toxic body beast. Again, it's still dissociative. It's still the bypass. And what we need now and what I try to ignite and support in the call to action is people, all the people, young people out there who are interested in somatic psych, a lot of them going into inclusivity, begin to co-create models that unite these various techniques that pull us up and out or in a way to look at ourselves through a more expansive lens, whatever we call it, with the desire to be deeply living within our body and healing the trauma that obstructs our consciousness and finding a way to weave transcendence and imminence into the holy holy, what I call a Western consciousness, the quest for unity consciousness and essence fundamental to Eastern traditions and the quest for a healthy self-concept and a work through 
an embodied experience of the moment that's more fundamental to Western consciousness. And when we find that weave, then we're really going to be here for our awakening. So I'd like to spend our last few minutes together today bringing this into the realm of relationship. Um, and what I'm thinking of is how in your book, the evolution of this starts with being in the body and and uh, there are a few other exercises that you offer that are all about accessing what's happening, the material that's happening within you now. And then that leads to this place of that being able to fuel a sense of who we actually are beyond who we think we are and and mining ourselves for that the uh, I forget the the term that you use for it, but for those uh, aspects of us that are about who we are uniquely able to be in this lifetime in this body. And I think for a lot of people, there's this question of their journey found them, let's say, to this place of relationship with this person. And then they start wondering, well, how do I know if this is a true, connection where we can grow each other versus one where we're just going to be trapped in our woundedness together. Um, so I'm curious to know how you would connect this body-centered awareness with that question of, is this the right person? Is this the right choice? Is this, like, is this the work worth doing? Because we have all our own material that's right there for us. And then we're in, we can be in choice about the material we want to work on with another human. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, so the distinction, let's say, between wound mates and soul mates or something. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think one of the dangers of the therapeutic revolution uh, with respect to the, the shadow work that I am encouraging people to do um, is that we make the mistake of thinking that every trigger-filled connection is worth our while. Um, I don't believe that. That has certainly not been my experience. There, you know, there are certain criterion that would determine whether or not it's worth our while and whether it isn't. And one of the most obvious ones is whether both people are willing to do the shadow work. Um, is the most basic level question, you know, because if if they're not, if one of them isn't, then you have a problem. You either adapt your consciousness, kind of lowest common denominator to the vibration of the person who doesn't want to do the work, um, or you walk away. But even in an experience, I've been in experiences where there was a willingness for two people, myself and the other, to do the deeper shadow work. But the, the, the relationship was like a nexus for so many triggers, both very obviously individually rooted in individual experience and all kinds of inexplicable you know, it's so difficult to language um, collective ancestral familial material that it didn't matter how much work we did therapeutically. There was no way it was ever going to become anything other than painful. Um, and I do not believe that we need to perpetually live in suffering in order to become conscious. I mean, we have to do work within the pain material for sure. So I think that, you know, as you move into this kind of consciousness, authentic relating, more deeply attuned to your material and the others, um, you have to ask the question, is this the kind of a experience where for whatever reason, without having to judge it perpetually, we are not going to be able to move our way through this to transformation in a way that feels healthy, positive and forward moving? Um, or is this the kind of connection that has the hope of becoming what I call a whole mate, you know, a connection that really has that more subtle, essential, soulful quality to it and at the same time is grounded in the real world, in the day-to-day -day life experience, and also in the working through the shadow material um, in a way that's forward moving. And you have to always ask that question because not every connection, even with the best of intentions, is a connection that's going to allow you to grow and evolve. In your book, you offer the beloved meditation exercise, and I don't think we necessarily have the time and space to go through that whole thing right now. Um, but I think it's it's actually a great um, it's a great way I think to explore that question from yeah. a centered place. Yeah, and um, from an embodied place, yeah, you know, not as a concept. You know, I had a cousin. He kept asking me if a relationship, every relationship, he'd say he'd he 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 asked me if it was a fit. Like I knew, 
<laughs> I would say, well, you know, I'd say, I don't know what, how do you feel? He'd go, well, I think. And I go, you're not answering it for my think. You keep trying. It's not working. You need to go into your body. He didn't want to go into his body. He was very, very detached from his body. And only when he finally did have a forced, kind of a forced embodiment experience, as the trauma built and built and built into kind of like a breakdown, did he actually come to access the answers that he actually had and always knew and always carried as to whether a particular connection he was in was a fit for him. It has to happen, all of it inside the body. So with the beloved meditation, my effort in a way was to try to invite people inside of that temple in order to ask that primary question, whether or not that connection is really a fit going forward. Right. And, and it's questions like, now I have it in front of me, is this person still part of my future? Are there still lessons we need to learn from each other? Or are we complete together? Are there, there lessons I now need to learn on my own outside of this present relational form? Are we meant to walk together in the coming moments or is it time to take leave of each other? I mean, these are great questions and they have to be answered from a place where you're fully Feeling. In, exactly. Like if yeah, they're if they're right. if those answers are coming from a place of fear, then we already know what the answers are gonna be. You can you can answer a question about whether someone's a fit for you from your mind if you want to do a practical pros and cons list or something. Right. But if you're asking the question of how you feel, you can't answer that question conceptually. You have to enter into that very scary terrain for most of us, which is the emotional and physical body. And I to me they're kind of synonymous. And drop down into that and let your body tell you what your answers are. And that's why a lot of people remain stuck, you know, and then they go and they go to a workshop experience that has an embodied component. At the end of it, they know whether or not to end their relationship or not or to go deeper because they finally access their body, which is very hard to do in our cultural overstimulated survive by our wits culture. We have to have an experience of the body in order to figure out what direction to walk in our lives. Yeah, and I'm... It's interesting for me. We, uh, Chloe and I actually have this whole practice of using muscle testing and kinesiology to, to tap into the body wisdom. Right. And at the same time, I'm, I'm curious to see how these deeper and deeper emotional excavations will inform the body's wisdom when we're asking those questions. Yeah. So, yeah. They're such important questions. To, and they're not just about relationship. They're about... You know, I use the term truth aches in the book in soul shaping because there are many indicators we're off path. And, and the way we, again, determine that is we do something embodied, whatever that happens to be. Osho's dynamic meditation, holotropic breath work, some somatic experiencing worth, you know, uh, bioenergetics or core energetic sessions. Core energetics is amazing also. And something, you know, that allows you to really enliven the body and let the body speak its truth. It wants to. And that's what it's built for. Right. You you got to help your body speak and then yeah. tune yourself in so that you're actually listening to what your body's saying. Right on. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate your here, being here to join us again on Relationship Alive to talk about your work. The book Grounded Spirituality is a fascinating journey of a book. And I, I appreciate that you gave me the time because we were actually in dialogue about when to do this conversation, that you gave me the time to really explore it and try things out and um it was helpful for me in my personal life and in being able to have this conversation with you of course because it's a really long book we could talk a lot longer but i i think i always have that feeling with you honestly that there's there's always more to say which leaves me excited for the next conversation great so Great. thank you so much for joining us here today. And if people want to find out a little bit more, obviously they can pick up the book Grounded Spirituality and how else can they find out about you and your work? They can uh, check out soulshaping.com, my older site. Um, there's some course downloads and things there, lots of stuff to read. Uh, soulshapinginstitute.com. I've got a couple of writing courses coming up, uh, writing your way home courses. Um, and my new jeffbrown.co website will be up soon. I'm very excited about that. I'm going to start doing a lot more video and start a podcast and all that. And um, and just join me on Facebook and Instagram. I'm there all the time and interactive. And um, and thank you, Neil. I appreciate your support. My, my pleasure. And just a quick additional plug for your writing course. Those are all about using writing as a vehicle for healing and finding your authentic yeah. expressed grounded voice, right? Absolutely. The, the, I, I hold a very tight and safe container 
for people to excavate their material and write through it and, you know, bring it in the direction of healing without any emphasis on perfect writing or perfect grammar or any of that stuff. It's, um, there are some people who do the course and don't join the Facebook private group and go off and write and write books. And a number of my students have been published, but the Facebook group component, which is about 60% of the student body for each course, is really focused on helping to support one another to just say and to express the things they've never, ever felt permission to express before. So it's a really beautiful experience. Such important work. And again, if you are interested in finding out more, you can get all the links to Jeff's websites, etc. through the show notes page, which you can get at neilsatin.com slash grounded, as in grounded spirituality, or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And thanks again, Jeff, for being with us today. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.